just tell me what you're going to start with because I, I need to be ready for this. <laughs> I'm going to start with greetings programs and welcome to the Awesome Friday podcast. This week we're covering two movies as we usually do. My name is Matthew. With me as always is Simon. How are you today, Hello. Simon? Hello. Um, I'm okay. Thank you. It's been a busy Saturday. I've had a really, really busy week both uh, in work and uh, socially. I say socially. <laughs> like what, what counts as a social life these days, including you coming over with your lovely wife for dinner. Um, I know, right? That was very, very nice. And then we had Seeing people in person. Night. Such a novelty. Uh, well, it's so nice, not just that, but also um, we moved in November and having much, much more space, not just to have friends over, but to find a space where my children can go and pack them away in it so they don't disturb us. That was, that's particularly cool. Like, it's a big upgrade from one bedroom, one, like a one bedroom den apartment on the downtown east side where they, everyone's just living on top of each other. So that's nice. That was really nice seeing you and uh, Dan. And last night we had some other friends over. And uh, it's, it, it was nice. It was really nice to see them. Alcohol helps. I don't know if I ever give up alcohol, it's going to have a direct impact on how I'm how social I'm able to be because I'm not a social person. I'm very socially awkward <laughs> and um, alcohol really helps with that. So I don't know. I, this has never bothered you, of course, because you were, you've never had that issue, but um, uh, I don't know if I ever stopped drinking, if how I would, uh, how I would solve that. Do you have any suggestions? Yeah, just do what I do. And, and what I've always done, which is just fake it. You're an actor. Put on a face and do it. Uh, <laughs> That's it's exhausting cause, though. Cause like I've been I've been I'm not I'm I'm not socially awkward. I've just been in sales my whole life. So <laughs> it's uh, yeah, I, yeah, I am social yeah, I am socially awkward, is what I'm trying to say. But I've been in sales got, for a long time, so I can just uh, I can just yeah. fake it. You've got that thing where you can just walk into a room where you know absolutely nobody and then bond with them are talking about transformers over a big bowl of chili like that's your that's your skill <laughs> which was what yeah but it is it is exhausting though <laughs> just for the record <laughs> uh anyway but i'm fine you know things are fine it's been a busy old week but um it's nice to have a weekend that isn't crazy and and the rest of my year is starting to get really busy particularly august is starting to get really crazy so I'm going to enjoy this downtown. Why downtown? Downtime, even while I can. The downtown downtime. Downtown downtime. That would be a great movie with Liam Neeson. Downtown downtime. <laughs> Liam I mean, Neeson is George Downtime. <laughs> I mean, it also could be a Nicolas Cage movie. Let's not mince <laughs> yeah, words here. One of those would be good. Mm. Someone, we should probably someone should make a podcast where it's bad, you know, direct to video, you know, mid tier action thrillers that have either Nicolas Cage or Liam Neeson in a leading role and Guy Pierce in a supporting role because I'm pretty <laughs> sure there's a fairly high number of those. Well, I have suggested to you now we know the awful, the terrible truth about Bruce Willis and the last two years of his acting career, like doing twenty, how many movies? Twenty one, twenty something movies in two years. And I did challenge you at one point to watch all of them and to write about all of them. It was like this period where he decided, okay, I'm, I need to make bank. I don't care what I do. In fact, sometimes I won't even know what I'll be doing, but I'm going to do it. Like you should watch all of those. 
no, I don't think I'm going to do that. Um, there was a time but, you would have uh, done that. <laughs> I mean, uh, part of me wants to do that, but it's just that just seems like a lot. It uh, is a lot. It's very sad as well. The whole thing is very sad. Let's just see. I'm just looking up to see here. Films. He had in 2021. He had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven films come out. That's insane. 2019 and 2020 together, he had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Uh, to be fair, some of those in 2021 were probably COVID delayed, uh, mm. and at least one of them I know was um, was supposed to be theatrical and went direct to video instead. But then 2022. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven films coming out or have come out in twenty twenty two so far. So that's nineteen wow. eighteen in two years. That's even Don't for worry. a healthy young actor, that would be a lot. Even yeah, it's like twenty twenty seven movies since twenty nineteen. And I mean, things film over long periods of time and things go through long periods of um post-production and all that kind of stuff but uh so i'm sure the, the shooting period was longer wow. however <laughs> uh that's a lot of movies that's a lot of movies it's interesting looking at his filmography too because on at least on wikipedia it sort of there's always a note and the the frequency of the words direct to video starts going up Right around the end of the year 2014, 2015, that's sort of when I think he was diagnosed right. uh, officially. And um, yeah, there's a absolute fuck ton of direct-to-video releases after that point. It's basically all direct-to-video after that point. That's upsetting. I believe his maximum number of days on set was three. I knew before his... Um... Uh, his condition came out I was speaking to someone who had worked on a film with him and they basically were saying that his setup now is that he'll fly, he'll fly out for three days and he'll get 1.5 million for working like four hours a day and at the time we were laughing like okay well this is this is the choices he's made now that's fine when you're at his position but now you know in re in, in hindsight it all comes into focus a bit, doesn't it? So it's, it's very sad, I think. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine. Aphasia is not not a thing that anyone would want to... You'd want to wish on anyone. Uh, but someone who makes their living communicating, it must be devastating. Yeah, yeah. When your your whole tool for doing that is, is being removed, it's terrible. Well, but anyway, well, this kind this kind of connects to what we're going to be talking that, about today. Because I was going to say are... that's that's actually a decent segue into yeah. the movie we're about to talk about in many ways. Uh, when we're so we're going to start with we have two movies to cover this week, and then we're going to start with the brand new uh, Liam Neeson action thriller Memory, which is in theaters as of this weekend. Which we've both now seen. And the setup for this film is that Liam Neeson is an aging hitman and he's developing amnesia. And he is contracted to kill someone who he refuses to kill because they're basically our child. And then he decides to, uh, you know, 
go and kill all the people who told him to kill a child. Whilst having uh, whilst having amnesia <laughs> and then battling with moments of you know where you can't remember and he's forgotten what he's doing or where he is and why. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's actually as premises go, it's a hell of a premise. I haven't seen it, but this is a remake of a Belgian film, I believe, which I think is just it's called something kind of dramatic, like the Alzheimer's Affair. It's got like three or four titles depending what market you're in. Right. Um, uh, yeah, the Alzheimer case, uh, or the Alzheimer affair, <laughs> uh, or the memory of a killer is another title oh, that yeah, went that's, by. That's much better. Or in or in the original Dutch, uh, Die Zik Alzheimer. I'm probably I'm butchering <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah Dutch pronunciation. Actually, hell of a thing. Yeah, I actually don't know what sound a double A makes in Dutch, so I probably shouldn't have even tried. Um, anyway, um, this movie is not great, but it has Liam Neeson, it has Guy Pierce, it has Monica Bellucci, it has Ray Stevenson. So it's not 100% bad, but I don't know, it's not good. I really don't know what to say about this movie. If you have been following the career of Mr. Neeson lately, in his also sad, for many reasons onslaught of you know direct-to-video and quickly produced action thrillers in the past decade or so basically since taken and you know he's been doing them to keep busy so like i know originally i remember reading an interview with him where he basically said i just want to keep busy because it keeps me from being sad because his wife died tragically and uh but he's still doing them (laughs) and this movie is a hell of a wasted premise because it is not good uh, I don't know, Simon, you take it away. Will you tell me what you think of this film? I think that it is frustrating, is the word I would use. Because all the pieces are there for this to be a good movie. And so tell, I think yeah. pretty much literally everyone phones it in. There's a That's not true. Not everyone phones it in. But everyone who shouldn't be phoning it in is phoning it in. Uh, there's a lot of really dodgy accents. Because it's a movie set in Texas, and literally everyone in the movie is from a place with a British accent of some kind. <laughs> um, and I mean, there's a couple of halfway decent action sequences. They're like okay, they're not amazing, but they're okay. And Martin Campbell is a director who's directed a lot of films that I really like. Lots, especially he may have peaked in the '90s, but he's responsible for. Goldeneye and Casino Royale, which are widely regarded as being, you know, certainly the best Pierce Brosnan, James Bond, and, you know, top two of, certainly top two of Daniel Craig's run. He did The Mask of Zorro. He did No Escape. Um, Dude's directed a lot of good movies, but this isn't one of them. (laughs) And then I, and I'm frustrated because, like I say, all the pieces are there for it to be good, and it's not. Yeah. So... I don't really disagree with any of that. The 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 most it, it's a total waste of time watching this movie it, because the 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 things that it wants to do everything there are so many pieces crammed into this movie that all of them would make a really interesting, quite gritty police procedural if Michael Mann were to have a run at it. But the problem is that the script is not up to it and the direction's not up to it. Like the the script in particular, which is, I, I think should share most of the blame, is 
the most bland piece of like shit script you could imagine. There's no nuance to it at all. There's no learning anything from conversation. People literally just state their life stories. At one point, one woman just announces her life story to a guy helping her out of a pool. And honestly, the, the whole film is just, this is exactly what I'm saying. This is exactly what's going to happen next. There's no skill or nuance to the script whatsoever. And so when you've got a director like Martin Campbell, who I, I feel, I, I have mixed feelings about Casino Royale as a film. I really like GoldenEye. Zorro is fun. I think if he's got a, a clear enough script, he's okay. But the the it's this film's such a mess of story beats and characters that it completely fails to differentiate. There's multiple times in this movie where I was like, well, who's who's that? And why are they talking to her? Why is Monica Bellucci now got a monologue about prolonging life and the, the ethics behind that? Like it's it bounces all over the place. And in the middle of that, you've got some very interesting american accents that go for a little journey they have a little vacation <laughs> so um the, and honestly you're right since i think taken showed liam neeson that there was a niche for old man action that he could feel pretty well by looking gruff and he has been through tremendous heartbreak and fair dues to him he's now just making bank while he can by doing this thing over and over and over and there's one point in this movie where he's not being gruff. He's, he greets what is meant to be like his old friend. <laughs> Spoiler! Turns out to not be. But he greets his old friend and he's got his arm around him and trying to look like he's happy, but he's smiling with the lower part of his mouth. Like, there's no smile. And he, do you know the, the point of me where he goes to see his daughters on the the, the, the friend's daughters on the horse? Yeah, I know. And, he goes, and he's there. Yeah, you're, you're talking about... Smile. He has a big I, grin on his face, but the rest of his face isn't smiling. His eyes aren't right. smiling. His body language isn't smiling. His, just, his, uh, it's just a big shit-eating grin. And yeah. he's like, I am I am happy. I am yeah. happy to see my friend. This is, this is me being happy. And I've, I've talked to you a little bit about this this morning while I was walking with my, my dog. Like, there was a time when Liam Neeson was very highly regarded. And it's a, it's a conversation for a different time about what... what makes good acting is it okay for an actor just to treat it like a job and just to like quote unquote phone it in but there is no like connection to anything he's doing past the gruff kind of action hero but the whole film is like that it is so there are so many missed opportunities for actual conversation and for nuance and there's some really good ideas that would have been really interesting with a better director and a better script and maybe a better cast. Although I thought I thought Guy Pearce did well with what he was given. I like him a lot as an actor, and I think he was probably the best of the bunch. But, yeah, I would agree uh, with that. I think, um, and also he has a, you know, a jaunty mustache and greasy hair, and I feel like one of those two things was a mistake. Um, <laughs> the latter one, in case it's not clear. Um I also, the uh, there's a young woman in it called uh, Taj Atwal. She's a British actress. And I thought she was good, but she was kind of let down by the fact that you could, I mean, I, I felt anyway, like she was really struggling with a, with an American accent. And, and there's mm. a couple of points where I'm pretty convinced that they ADR'd her dialogue. Like she, mm. she performed it on the day and they then dubbed it over later with a better take of the audio. Mm. Um, 
And even Ray Stevenson, who's normally like Ray Stevenson's American accent is generally actually pretty good. Um, but he's playing like a gruff, huge Texan man. And his accent definitely goes from like Texas to Louisiana to London to Texas again in one sentence at one point. It's uh, it's kind of impressive. And I don't really get it. I think, I think it's one of those things where everyone signs on to do, and this is just, this is entirely a guess on my part. I have no inside knowledge of any of this stuff ever, but it feels like it's one of those movies where, or a situation where everyone says, yeah, like, look at all these people in the movie. Let's sign on and do the movie. The script looks pretty okay. And then they get on set and they just go, oh, maybe not. (laughs) You know, like, and they all do the best they can with not great material or maybe even not great circumstances. I don't know exactly when this was shot. It might have been during COVID, which, um, you know, might have also had an impact on everything. Yeah. I know it was shot. I know it was shot in Europe. Like it's not American made, even though it's set in Texas. It was shot in like Bulgaria or something. Oh, really? Yeah, Bulgaria. Uh, And yeah, it's uh, it was announced in February 2020. So it and it shot in 2021. So, I mean, COVID has an impact. Uh, You know, it's um, I don't know. Again, it's just. It's very frustrating. It's a very frustrating movie. Because, I mean, I'm just going to repeat myself again. Because all the pieces are there. All the pieces you need to make a good movie are there. And with with a, with a script that might have had another pass and, you know, a couple of more takes on some of the scenes, it might have been good, even. Yeah, might have been no, absolutely. really fun. And, and also, the whole concept of, of the, uh, the killer who has Alzheimer's, so he's losing his memory. Super interesting idea that whole thing of him forgetting stuff is only really used as a single plot point right towards the end. For most of the movie, the fact that he had out, uh, um, uh, Alzheimer's-related amnesia is completely irrelevant to anything, for the most part. There's only one part of the end where he can't remember the thing. Every other part of the movie, he's totally fine. And there, there's no there's no real... Um, yeah, there's, it's, there's it's one moment at the beginning... Yeah. There's one moment at the beginning where he misremembers something, oh. but it doesn't have any effect on what's going on. Yeah. And then there's another moment where he forgets something, but it sets up a convenience to put him into a place. Do you know what? As well, are we, can we spoil? Can I spoil a little bit? I, um, I'm not going to spoil it. I, I'll do it as thinly as I can. But there's one moment where um, someone who he refuses to kill ends up being killed. And he wakes up from a nightmare of being covered in blood how much more interesting would it have been if he wasn't sure if he did it or not and and we as the audience we're not sure either so he we know straight away that he didn't do it but yeah and there's definitely there's about there's about 30 seconds where that yeah there's about 30 seconds where that's the case and then they just it gets resolved immediately and that's sort of the problem with the script right is that every scene yeah, resolves totally. itself immediately yeah there's what's the the harrison ford movie is it presumed innocent where there's a the audience is on his side for the whole thing and the video is being decoded and then you realize at the end we've been wrong the whole time like or you've kind of not been 
either side of the fence at least. They had so much scope to play with that, and it was just completely resolved. It wasn't him. And yeah, so I mean, it could have. It could have been. I mean, another great example of that would be like Primal Fear, which if you haven't seen Primal Fear, mm. I'm going to spoil it. But that movie's like 20 years old, so you should have seen That's it by now. Great, oh, but where like you spend it. it's a uh, it's Edward Norton's debut, and you spend the whole movie thinking that he's this put upon choir boy who has an alternate personality, who's a psychopath, and then at the end, when it reveals that it's actually the other way around, is mm-hmm. yeah a devastating moment of acting from him, yeah. and then also from Richard Gere. Um, and a super interesting resolution to that story. Mm-hmm. Um, you should see Primal Fear, everyone, just in case you yeah. haven't. It's by interestingly, in a career full of great performances, it's probably still, as his debut, my favorite Edward Norton performance. Oh, I would probably go with American History X over that. I mean, for, for personally, and and Fight Club, I love Fight Club, but American History X, he is just next level for me. I do love Primal Fear though. It's fantastic, but that—that's the thing. These these movies, like *Presumed Innocent* and *Primal Fear*, they they involve the audience with a, a clever script, and and make us part of the story. And there was so much scope for that to happen here, and they just didn't use any of it. And that, for me, is the whole movie. Like the direction was very very basic and very very bland. I don't know if he was like constrained by budget or time, or even like if he cared about what he was doing. The script is really basic and bland and so everyone kind of just phones it in and they're terrible american accents and by the end of it i just felt like i'd wasted an hour and 50 minutes just completely wasted i don't think it helps actually that the other film we're talking about this week is so brilliantly written and involving and creative that i i think that probably didn't help with me watching this movie (laughs) because it's None of those yeah, things. I mean, it is, it is unfair that we are going to talk about what is easily one of the best movies of the year on the same week as this totally bland, middle of the road, probably should have been direct to video thriller. Yeah, I'm quite surprised it is getting a theatrical release. I wonder if the, the big names are enough to drive it. Well, the interesting thing about Liam Neeson's career at this point is that much like, I'm mean, not like really like Bruce Willis, but certainly like Nicolas Cage, uh, he churns out quite a few movies a year and, uh, you know, probably one in three or one in four of them are good. And, you know, same as Nicolas Cage. That dude churns out a ton of, ton of work every year and every year or two you get one that is absolutely incredible and the rest are, at best, fine. And I feel like that is Liam Neeson's sort of thing now too. You know, he turns out a ton of movies, and every once in a while, there's a really good one, or at least a really interesting one. And unfortunately, this is not that one. Oh. <laughs> just, what mean, would you? I, I haven't really kept up to track with his old man action movies. I haven't seen Taken's two or three. Um, out of out of all the the things he's pumped out, which ones would you recommend as? actually find movies that I should watch. Uh, let's see here. When was Taken? Taken was like 2008. So since then, uh, The Grey is good. That was 2012. Uh, and also 
yeah, the gray was good. Uh, I mean, obviously, 2014, he had the Lego movie. Uh, but also, I liked A Walk Among the Tombstones, which was also 2014. Uh, Run All Night was okay uh, in 2015. It's, it's interesting, actually. There's a common theme to some of this. Uh, but I'll come to it in a second. Uh, Silence was amazing. Silence is an amazing film. He's got a very small part in it, but that's like Martin Scorsese's passion religious thing, uh, which is the film that uh, Andrew Garfield should have won Best Actor for in 2016. Um, the Commuter in 2018. Uh, Cold Pursuit in 2019. And then I haven't really seen... There's been three or four or five since then that I just haven't really caught up with. Mm-hmm. Um, but interesting, of those ones, The Commuter and also Run All Night are... Jean-Claude Serra movies, who makes really good, high-grade B-movies. You may remember him from directing uh, The Shallows with Blake Deadly. Oh. Blake <laughs> Deadly. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, like I say, like every he ch- turns out a ton of work, and every, every once in a while, there's a great one. And, like, not to say they're, like, high art or peak cinema, but they're definitely, like, The Commuter is a legitimately fun movie. Ronald Knight is a legitimately fun movie. Like mm-hmm. he, you know, I don't know if you've seen The Commuter, but it's Liam Neeson yeah. on a train against bad guys. It's it's really fun. <laughs> I like trains. I like like old movies. So maybe what's that one called? The Commuter. The Commuter. Oh, there's another one too. Which one did I forget? Uh, there's another one where he's nonstop, which is also Jean Calais Seurat. <laughs> Uh, oh. nonstop he plays an air marshal and he's like a aging alcoholic air marshal and there's turns out there's terrorists on his plane and it's a locked room mystery he has to figure out who the terrorists are and it's from 2014 and it also features early appearances by Lupita Nyong'o and Michelle Dockery as two of the uh, air stewardesses on the flight I feel, like I've, I feel like I've seen that and it's like it's not necessarily a great movie, but it's like I say, Jean Collet Seurat has this really interesting knack for churning out super high grade B movies. So when when it gets to the point where old man Neeson, the alcoholic, is losing the confidence of everyone in the plane, and he has to give an impassioned monologue about he's not the best choice for the job. He's old. He's an alcoholic, but he's all <laughs> they've got, and they have to band together. Like you're just like, yeah, man, get a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's sort of like I say. It's like he's done a number of very perfect B movies, and uh, uh-huh. they're the ones that are good are definitely worth seeking out. And just to reiterate, unfortunately, this is not one of those. Yeah, which is a little bit disappointing. Yeah, it's really not. So, yeah, what would you give it out of five? I'm gonna say I'm gonna give it a two based on uh, Guy Pierce's jaunty mustache. <laughs> Uh, I'm giving it a one um, just for um, the British detective's uh, long speech where she turns Irish in the middle. Uh, so one star. Purely for that <laughs> moment. Oh no, I'm going to give one star actually uh, for the completely needless Monica Bellucci patting her cleavage moment which was so stupid. With a, oh, yeah. in a, a blouse. Like the doctor... Like was was like taking her heart rate, and she 
and he yeah, he was he was ultrasounding her heart for some reason. So there's this whole subplot the in the oh, yeah, there's this terrible. whole subplot in the movie where she's oh. like pursuing staying young, but it doesn't have any bearing on anything at all. No, it doesn't make any sense, and uh, there's so many stupid points. Anyway, one star from me because yeah. we, we don't give zero stars, so it gets a one for for yeah. existing. Yeah, I'll still give it two because I think Guy Pierce does okay. I don't think it's fully bad, but oh, it's not good. Generous man that I am. <laughs> I mean, a movie has to like offend me with its awfulness before I'll give it a one at this point. So, oh, I'm offended. I'm offended by what was the quote I sent you? You're obsessed. I'm just doing my job. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Uh, it's that yeah. kind of script ladies and gentlemen <laughs> well that's very much like an existential crisis in the form of a multiversal uh, <laughs> story so let's it move really on let's Ooh. move on to everything everywhere all at once which has been in theaters for a couple of weeks now but we finally had a chance to sit down and watch it and uh, turns out it's one of the best <laughs> movies of the year yeah spoilers and that's the end of the podcast we shouldn't talk about it you should go see it you should see it as blind or as cold as possible uh and it's legitimately one of the best movies of the year it's the second feature from the daniels who you may remember from swiss army man aka the farting daniel radcliffe corpse movie uh no you didn't hear that wrong if you haven't seen the movie (laughs) You should watch it as well. There's no way a movie with that premise should work. And it doesn't just work. It works brilliantly. It's a really touching, heartfelt movie about a farting corpse. Yeah. And Radcliffe, God bless Radcliffe's agent. Like, he could have have banked it on Harry Potter for the rest of his life. But he's played farting corpse. He's played man with guns strapped to his hands running around mm-hmm. in um, fluffy slippers and i love have you you've seen guns akimbo right he's great in that so i haven't actually got, seen it but it's uh, high on my oh, list wow. so so good uh, so yeah you should watch that movie yep but so, not before um, you watch this movie because it's oh, so great yeah why don't you give us give us the rundown on the basic plot the, the very oh, basic plot of everything okay. everywhere all at once uh, Michelle Yell owns and runs a laundrette in America. Um, do you call them laundrettes? It's laundromat in America. Laundromat. I'm afraid. Oh, sorry, laundromat. It's less French. Hey, don't yeah. laundrette. And um, she is married to uh, her husband, played by the wonderful Kay Hoi Kwan, who you'll remember um, as Short Round from Indiana Jones and uh from the goonies as well and i forget his character's name but he was in the goonies um and they're married and they have a daughter played by stephanie Shu, who's very good and they're just they're not making much money they're not they're not very good at like keeping all their receipts and it's, it comes to tax time and they've got to uh do their tax returns uh and they have an accountant at the tax office played by Jamie Lee curtis that they're trying to get all these taxes done and they don't there's lots of things go wrong michelle yo is not in a happy place with her life her husband's not happy in their marriage she's unhappy with her daughter for because her daughter has a girlfriend and she's at the same time trying to impress her father who's clearly like overbearing towards her as well so 
she doesn't start this movie in a very happy place. But then uh, we learn that an inter- interdimensional rupture has happened and she is contacted by someone who basically tells her he thinks she is the key to fixing it. And that's really all I can tell you about this movie. <laughs> One thing I will say before you, before we get to uh, uh, superlative about the whole thing, there's there's not many movies these days where I would say, oh, that's a that's a theatrical. You've got to see it on a big screen because over the pandemic, I've set up a little home cinema, and I am so happy watching movies at home now. I don't. There's not many movies where I think, oh, that that would have been better on the big screen. This is 100%. If you can get to the movies and feel safe to do so, go and watch this on the big screen. Because just the when this movie kicks into gear, it is a visual trip and it takes you with it. And the more uh, enclosed you are in that bubble, the more you'll get from it. Like, it's... It's a really visually spectacular, incredible uh, experience. Like I'm, I'm very sensitive to to color to like lights and flashing lights, and sometimes I, I really hate it if it's like strobe kind of light. But I just found this almost like energizing the amount of color, and and it's so beautifully shot as well. Because once it kicks off, once we establish there are other dimensions these dimensions are realized in the most incredible like otherworldly ways sometimes they're worlds we recognize sometimes they're like 80s sci-fi inspired stuff sometimes it's huge leaps that you would never even imagine and these huge leaps get more and more and the best thing about this whole damn film is that it's about something and it's about something real and it's about an emotional acceptance of kinds and uh it's not just for show like it's got a really strong emotional core and michelle yo if she doesn't get nominated for an oscar for this then i will be flabbergasted my flabber will be gusted what, you, <laughs> what um and that there's there's not much more you can say it's a difficult it film spoiling it right what it's you, a difficult film to, to talk about I think it's an interesting film because there's so much there is so much detail we could speak about that would not actually affect or spoil the plot or the emotional through line of the film but so much of that of the detail works so well I think because it's so surprising yeah. uh, you know when they're the way that the multiverse is explained uh, which is you know the, the way that every multiverse is explained is that every choice creates a branching reality. And some of those branches are immediate from the timeline that we're watching. And some of them go back far enough that everyone in one universe has hot dogs for fingers. It's, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, and that sounds ridiculous and it is, but it's also really lovely, like really heartfelt really lovely and a lot of the a lot of the multiversal stuff is used to reinforce and reiterate the themes of the film in ways that will catch you by surprise 
and will really work their way just into you in a way that it's it's a movie that I might go so far as to describe as transcendent um, just because of how affecting that it is. And I wouldn't normally use that word uh, because in, in, in a film that was less everything, basically. <laughs> That's, it's interesting because in the same way that there is a lot going on in um, memory, there is a lot going on in this movie, but the main difference is that literally all of it works in this one, whereas yeah. basically none of it works in the former. Yeah. Um, like there's no, there is no single shot. There is no single line of dialogue. There is no single meaningful glance between characters that is not important to the plot, important to the theme, and important to the experience of watching the film. And I think this is a, it's very early in the year yet. And this already, it's the best thing I've seen all year. And it has a, I, th I think it probably has a very high chance of being my favorite thing of the year. I haven't given anything else as high rating as I've given this, this year. I mean, there's always Top Gun for you, isn't there? But for me, it's the best film I've seen in years, years and years and years, like in terms of spectacle and, and creativity. And, and you make a really good point that, a movie like this is quite hard to stick the landing and uh, and when you're trying to be this creative it's quite easy to slip into being pretentious and and uh like op trying to obfuscate in to to uh, to sort of hide meaning in an attempt to be deep do you know what i mean it's it's to to be too complicated and i'm just staggered at this movie doesn't drop off at the end it doesn't find its feet at the beginning and then get kind of normal towards the end like that creativity and the the way it plays with different dimensions and the characters in those dimensions and how they interact with each other it just goes up and up and up like in terms of engagement and creativity and just when you think you've seen it at its peak, it then takes another breath and says, okay, <laughs> okay. They did turns into <laughs> Al Pacino for some reason. Um, it, it takes a breath and goes into next level. And so by the end of this, it's like a, it's like a song. I mean, I talk a, a lot about music and good films. It is a beautiful song and it has a crescendo and that crescendo is meaningful but also it's not overwhelming with noise. Like the last part of this movie is quite quiet. You know, it's, it's mm -hmm. fairly quiet and it works brilliantly. In fact, there's a moment of absolute silence that is, and when you realize, and it comes after a very big crescendo and there's a jump cut and it is just like, fuck, this is just like, it's so confident in its creativity. It's, it's yeah. fantastic. And I think I think what really makes it work I'm so I'm sort of gonna repeat myself a little bit, but what really makes it work is that the the key the other key difference between these two movies that we're talking about, other than that like everything works in this one and everything doesn't in the other, is that every single choice in this movie is about reinforcing its central theme, its central story. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of stuff going on, but there's none of it that's not relevant. 
uh, whereas the previous movie, there's there's just a shit ton of stuff that's not relevant. <laughs> that you know that would be be interesting, but some but you know would also need an editor to be like that doesn't do anything for this story. Whereas yeah. that whereas in everything everywhere all at once, literally every choice, literally every choice is to reinforce the ending basically and the resolution of the the plot and the theme of the film. And that moment you're talking about, where it's a jump cut to total to total silence. I had a, a momentary a moment where I was like, "Oh shit, somebody's gonna talk." <laughs> like, yeah, because we were in a we were in a not empty theater, and yeah. it's exactly the kind of movie that could lose someone. Like a lesser film would have lost someone, mm-hmm. and someone would have been like, "What the fuck is happening right now?" But mm-hmm. this movie had the whole audience stupefied in mm-hmm. the best way possible, and that moment is a very interesting release yeah. and also some <laughs> that scene also pays off itself a little bit later in the film in just a really wonderful way uh that i don't i just can't spoil uh, anyway that like this is i think that the daniels are have cemented themselves as a very interesting filmmaking duo they are two for two this is the superior mm-hmm. film, but neither of their films are bad. Yeah, um, they're both legitimately great. But this is by far, I think, the best film I've seen all year. Yeah, I don't know if it's, it's the what... best film I've seen in years, but it is definitely the best film of 2022 right. so far. Like, f- for me, the last film that made me feel like this, like so complete and overwhelmed as a film spectacle, was Mad Max Fury Road. Like, it's in, in, in terms of the medium being used in this way. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, in ter- especially in terms of like uh, the raw visual spectacle. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, that or maybe, maybe, and actually a film that it has some, some DNA in common with, maybe actually Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one where this the raw creativity on display and the raw spectacle of how that is portrayed mm-hmm. is wonderfully overwhelming. Yeah, but yeah, never, but never to the point where you lose it. It's just that like it sort of completely takes you over. It you sort of live in the experience, live in the moment, which is um quite quite nice. I thought. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's worth mentioning it as well. I've already mentioned her, but the the emotional impact of the end of this movie is uh, a testament to Michelle Yeoh and um, Stephanie Shu playing off against each other as mother and daughter. And they they really what I got from it being a white guy from England was was this. I, I, it really, really moved me, but I can I can't even imagine being like of Asian heritage, being watching that movie. Like, there's so many kids who have gone through overbearing parents, who have not made like partner choices that are approved by the parents, and just to see this this movie goes really deep into that kind of approval and forgiveness and generational trauma and there's going to be a hell of a release for some people that watch this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, that's not my life at all. And by the end of it, I just 
was really moved by the whole thing. So it reminded me a lot, actually, of Turning Red, um, of the 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 message is quite similar in terms of uh, a, an Asian daughter um, generationally born outside of the country that their parents are from and, and moving outside of their parents' expected traditions and expectations. And, and um, it was similarly moving. So they're both fantastic. Everyone's fantastic in this movie, but uh, for, for, for multiple reasons I won't go into, both the female leads have multiple versions of their characters to kind of portray and work through. And it's just done so so brilliantly, and they're so the emotion is so real as well. Even when everything is so surreal, like this is a movie where people suddenly have hot dogs for hands, and it's incredibly moving. Like what the yeah. how how have they done that? How is that possible? And it's like um, Swiss Army Man, like the Daniels have managed to find this very thin line between uh, ridiculous and stupid. Like mm-hmm. it's not played for laughs. It's played for emotion. It's played straight, absolute surreal ridiculousness played straight. And it works like they are so talented. And this is, this is before we even get into their like technical skills. Like the way this thing is shot and edited and scripted. It's incredible. It'll be on the one hand, it'll be like, it's, I think it's too early in the year to make calls about acting nominations or awards, but this will be the movie where if it doesn't win for for editing, if it doesn't win every award for editing, I might lose faith in the industry. <laughs> what um, faith you have left? Um, and you're talking. I mean, yeah. nothing you've said about Michelle Yeoh or Stephanie Hsu is wrong, but uh, Kei Hoi Kwan is so yeah. wonderful oh, he really as is. the dad in this, and it's just such a like. First off, he has to also portray at least. I mean, one, two, mm. at least three separate versions of the same character. Yeah. All of which are wonderful, and one of which is kind of emotionally devastating. Mm. Um, but in like a really nice way. Like, again, really overwhelming way. He has a lovely monologue where he basically outlines his characters, his own characters through line. Uh, and it's just like brought me to tears. Mm. Um and then there's also James Hong who plays the the grandfather <laughs> Gong Gong who and like if you don't know who James Hong is you're not paying attention because that guy is 90 years old. He's been acting for roughly 70 of those years in Hollywood and he's only just getting his walk on the Hollywood star frame uh walk of fame like this year like this month. Um mm. but going back to KY Quan for a moment he had a pretty successful career as a young young man acting and then he stopped finding roles in the 90s transitioned to production work and this is his return to acting after 22 years wow what was he doing in production what what kind of thing uh he hang on a second i can just tell you he transitioned to I mean, being a producer, as far as I understand, he went to, I know that in the year 2000, he went to help choreograph and work on fight sequences in X-Men. And from that point on, basically, he worked as a stunt coordinator, a stunt choreographer, um, assistant director, 
on a number of films and a lot of the ones a lot of them you've seen um and he returned to acting for this after uh this and another film i think that you've seen but i haven't on netflix called finding ohana um which is a kid's movie but yeah it's his first film sorry in 20 years his last film was a movie called second time around in 2002 and it's just you kind of just kind of you just got to wonder like how many amazing performances we must have missed out on just yeah. because Hollywood's kind of racist, you know, like yeah. there just wasn't roles for Asian American actors. And so he stopped acting and it's interesting that he directly says, he said in, in an interview that he was inspired to return to acting by crazy rich Asians of all things. <laughs> Because he felt it was the first time he watched a movie with Asians in the lead portrayed as real people mm-hmm. and not just Hollywood stereotypes of Asian people. And that's mm-hmm. what what made him want to come back. And I am upset that we don't have those 20 years of him giving incredible performances, but I'm glad that he is back. Yeah. Well, I love the video that's come out with um, Michelle Yeoh talking about the experience of getting the script and going for this part. And she says she says she doesn't take anything these days if if the directors if it's not a passion project she just won't spend three or four months away from her family anymore or uproot them all. And she said she read the script and it's wonderful because she starts crying when she's talking about it. And she's like, finally, there's something that isn't stereotypical. There's something that can show me uh, for all the different things I can do. Like I can be funny, I can be serious, and uh, it's really um, uh, emotionally moving to see an actress of her stature just reacting to finally getting something that isn't a stereotype you know and um and and boy does she pull it off like she's just incredible in this film absolutely incredible yeah i mean i don't have a a bad thing to say about it at all i mean stephanie i really hope this kicks off stephanie sue in a in a much bigger way as well she's already you've already seen her if you haven't seen this but you've probably already seen her she's one of the friends in um shang chi in the legend of the ten rings mm-hmm. and if you watch the marvelous mrs mazel on amazon prime you've seen her in the last two seasons of that in which she is also one of the best parts i would argue mm-hmm. um but i hope that she i hope this kicks her career off in a, in a major way i really want to see more from her she's amazing she was amazing. So, sure. and of course, so I, don't think we can, I don't. I don't think we can leave out that just how how much fun and how good Jamie Lee Curtis is in this as well. <laughs> yes. I also really enjoy that Jamie Lee Curtis is at a point in her career where she's also just taking, clearly taking the stuff that she just finds interesting and weird, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, I I adore her in this as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's fantastic in this, and again playing multiple roles within the same body and doing a great job of it really lovely yeah it's interesting because it sounds our tone sounds almost a little bit somber or melancholy but it's really not like this really like i'm not it's not hyperbole for me to say this is one of the best things i've seen it's definitely the best thing i've seen all of this year it's one of it's among the best things i've seen in years and i i get a little bit emotional just thinking about watching it so it's yeah i mean it has it doesn't have a somber ending but there's there's a real emotional uh beat at the end of this film and so it's hard to really talk about the whole film without talking within the context of that 
quite quiet ending that is so effective and the message is so strong and really fits into like how life is at the moment and how many people are feeling at the moment. Um, yeah. that it's, it's incredibly moving. Please go see it in the cinema. Mask up, do what you need to do, but go see it in the cinema. You'll, you won't regret it at all. I concur. You How many stars, man? All of the stars. Five. <laughs> all of them. Five is the maximum, so five. It's, yes. Me too. Five, from, five the, from both of us. This is the easiest five I think I've ever given. Yeah. It's tremendous. Good. Good. So what 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 do we what's coming up for the next week for you? What are you covering? So I we I don't know for sure what we'll be covering on the podcast next week. Um but uh, there are sorry, Hot Docs, which is the sort of preeminent uh, documentary film festival in Canada and perhaps North America, is on now. Started this past today. You'll be listening to this on a Sunday, uh, so it would have started on Friday. I've already seen several films, and uh, I've actually posted a video that my friend Thomas from For Real and I had about movies we're excited for. And there should be some reviews and interviews coming on the site over the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, reviews over the next week and interviews over a little bit longer period because uh, they post to this the podcast feed as well uh, there's also a one that i'm not allowed to talk about yet that i've seen that i'll be posting hopefully an interview and a review for later this week um but other than that i actually don't know what we'll have on the docket for us for next week so well hopefully maybe something michael bay related that would be good Hopefully, I hope that we can maybe get to a cinema, and it's we'll be a little bit behind on this one as well. But I, I would like to make it to a cinema and watch The Northman as well. Ah, so yes. Um, but I'm I'm working on it. We have we have options, but my mm-hmm. my inbox is absolutely overwhelmed with emails about documentaries right now. Right. Um, I haven't. I don't want to jinx it by saying about saying it, but there is another film festival in June that I'm <laughs> I I am quite hopeful that I've been accredited for that'd be my second time covering it which one i don't want to say it out loud but it's it's it rhymes with with cry cry flecka out of new york (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh and there's looks like the the lineup for that festival has been announced it looks really good this year so uh but that's that's june but the end of this month we have top gun uh next month we have it's interesting, we're almost at the halfway point of the year. So Top Gun this month, next month we have uh, Jurassic Park, uh, sorry, Jurassic World. Uh, there's something else at the end of June as well, and then there's the new Jordan Peele in July. So we're really heading into what you might call the busy season for film. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Well, Good. Uh, how can how can people give us money? <laughs> like, <laughs> not dress it up. How that was um that was an amazing segue. I'm just gonna I, say. So I this yeah, this is the point in the show where we say we want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, we have a lot of fun doing this, and we hope you have a lot of fun listening to it. And if you would like to support us, the two best ways to do that would be to subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice uh, or give us a five-star review on your podcasting platform of choice or, I mean, multiple podcasting platforms if you like. I'm not going to stop <laughs> you from doing that. Um, or both of those things. Uh, if you'd like to support us a little more directly, we do have a Patreon and uh, a Kofi. And those will be linked in the show notes and they're linked on the website, which is awesomefriday.ca. 
we also, you know, we don't write this, but we do perform it here in Vancouver on the unceded lands of the Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, and Musqueam nations. And uh, yeah, we want to thank you for listening. We love each and every one of you, all you. 12 of you. and Uh, counting and counting good all right well that's and that's the end of the show folks thank you thank you so much for listening and uh thank you for joining us on this awesome friday thanks guys bye